0: Spencer Lodge, welcome back to the On a Mission podcast.
1: When your focus in life is making money and getting attention, you'll work out eventually that it isn't a very worthy goal. I think we all need this. We need to get out of this space that we sit in where we feel victim and, and vulnerable. Watch a 12 year old girl tell you, how she had to run away because she was going to be raped. I was in filming the documentary in Nepal, and we met this community, the baddie community. At nine years old, every girl becomes a prostitute. And when you ask them who their clients are, policemen, politicians, businessmen, unfortunately, it goes all the way to the top. I and mean, then I've had enough guests on the show now to know a lot about politics, politicians, big business, power, and control. And that's really what it's all about.
0: Spencer Lodge, welcome back to the On a Mission podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Oh, this is so much more exciting because last time we did it online. This time we're in person here in Dubai.
1: You're right. I mm. never thought that. I feel like I've known you so long though and I feel like I know you so well. It's almost like catching up with an old mate.
0: Oh, thank you. We were just... See, I always think, do you feel this like this when you're recording with a fellow podcaster? There's always just a little bit more pressure.
1: What an interesting question. Yeah. I, I don't interview many podcasters. Yeah. But... Getting the chance to talk to you for me is just like, it's like two people from an industry going out and having lunch. Yes. You know, we get a chance to do that. And that for me is good because there's stuff I can learn from you and, you know, hopefully vice versa. And, and you've, you've shared experiences and shared hassles and dramas and, and, and joys as well. <laughs> and joys. Like,
0: yeah. It's quite funny though, because I just think the in-person experience is so much better. And my podcasts where I do record in person, they perform so much better.
1: <clears throat> That's always the way. I, I, don't, I don't even enjoy doing them online. You don't you don't connect in the same way. It's not as it's not as intimate. It's not as it's and it's not as much fun. Mm. You get to the end of the, the podcast when it's online. It's like, Yeah, leave your page open while we download on Riverside or whatever it is. But yeah, it's here. It's like, Oh, should we go for a coffee? And then all that kind of stuff happens when it's, when you're in real life.
0: Well, real life comes with its sets of uh, dramas, as we know. We switched from Streamyard to Riverside a couple of months ago, and the very first podcast that we recorded using Riverside was with a quite high-profile guest. It was with Tim Story, who's really top motivational speaker. And I forgot to say at the start of it because I wasn't familiar with the process to leave the bloody laptop open for a few minutes afterwards. And we finished. He literally was in such a rush to get off. We'd spoke for a little while before we'd hit record. But after the podcast, he shut the laptop so quickly. Didn't have chance to say anything. And um, my assistant rang me up two hours later. She's like, it's not downloaded. And anyway, we got it in the end, but I didn't sleep that night. I was just so worried that I was not going to have this content. It really was like, oh
1: ah. I've done it. Have you? Yeah, I've done it twice. Two episodes, I did it, and we lost everything. <gasps> we actually
0: lost And then them. I had to go
1: back and ask the guests if they'd film again, and it was just... It just wasn't as good. Oh,
0: that's a bit cringe as, as well. Yeah. Isn't and I don't know it?
1: exactly who they were as well. I'm not going to say. Who they are,
0: like, oh. <laughs> Go back and listen to Gutted. the content. Oh, brilliant! <clears> so, <throat> how long have you been in sunny Dubai for?
1: 18 years now.
0: What brought you over here initially? Because it was a very different place.
1: Well, I'd lived overseas for 30 years, so I was then what was that? 12 years overseas. So I left England when I was young, and so Hong Kong, Thailand, Malaysia, Brazil, Slovakia, Egypt. I'm going through them now. Italy. And then I lived in Amsterdam and it was cold and miserable. And we bought a company here and there was three of us that owned the business. It was like, who's going to go and run the company here? And I'm like, it's sunny there. I'll give it a go.
0: Yeah, I love it. I can't wait. We moved out <coughs> in in the August. And it's just the vibe out here is just absolutely incredible, isn't it?
1: Mm, it's very positive, isn't it?
0: It's very positive. No one's talking about the cost of living crisis and how much your heating bills are or nuclear war. It's just all about sort of entrepreneurship and happiness and success
1: when you meet old people, you find that they're less optimistic. They won't say they're pessimistic. They'll say they're realists. Mm. Uh, I say they're cynical. (laughs) Um, Old people. And, you know, I've talked to my dad. It's like, you know, and they've got all of the disappointments that have happened in their life that have led them to that place. But whenever I go to the UK, I just find a lot of very miserable people. Very negative, very cynical, very can't do. Where here... You know, you can't live on the dole here. If you don't work, you don't earn any money. You know, you've got to go out and do something. And I think people come here and they get seduced by the lifestyle, but also they get seduced by other people around them that are kind of like go-getters and wanting to make something of their lives. And for all of the critics in the UK about this city, um, first of all, if you've never been, how dare you judge, okay? And number two, there are rules that are different here to in the UK, but after living here for 18 years... I promise you, they're better than they are in the UK.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions as well from people, like you say, who've never actually been to Dubai.
1: Mm-hmm. When
0: I announced that I was moving over, some of my dearest friends were very concerned. What about your girls in particular? They're not going to be treated with the same level of respect. And it's an ill informed decision. Uh, Sorry, ill informed opinion.
1: It's it's just typical opinionated people in the UK, isn't it? They've got an opinion on something they know nothing about. You know, oh, you're in Dubai, you're in the Middle East. That means women have to cover up. You know, you can't drink alcohol and all, you know, you can't live in the same. It's like you don't even know the rules. You don't understand the rules. You've never been here. So just why don't you comment on something you know a lot about rather than not?
0: Love it. Now, on our last podcast, we shared so much about your own incredible story. But one thing we didn't touch upon really was the fact that you are a fellow podcaster and you've been doing it for four years now. What was your motivation initially for setting up the podcast?
1: So I had a a guy called Raj Katecha, who owns a company called um the creative content agency and and we'd become friends and he had a podcast with fat man scoop
0: oh fat man scoop, <laughs> yeah. Fat man, scoop. Uh,
1: yeah and he said to me you need a podcast you need a podcast you need a podcast it's been on for a year i'm like bugger off will you and when he first said it, i didn't even know what a podcast was <laughs> um and then towards the end of the year i like, spent you really need to do a podcast it's really valuable for you and he kind of pressured me into doing it um And the way that he pressured me into doing it it was rather overwhelming for me at the time. You know, we need to do an intro episode, so write a 15-minute intro. And I was like, what, I've got to talk for 15 minutes? What, just do it into a microphone? Yeah, so write it. And I'm like, well, what am I going to write? You know, I can't even write a shopping list, let alone, you know, a 15-minute intro. So it was really overwhelming. But... Once it started and I realised I was getting the opportunity to meet people I hadn't met before, learn about their stories, get to know them, connect with them, build my own network, it started to to uh, really appeal to me. And then from, you know, probably five or six episodes in, I was like, no, I need to make time to do this. And that's what I did.
0: Bumped it up the priority list. Mm. It was really interesting because when I launched this podcast, it was in the middle of COVID and initially ah. it was just a way to network and to communicate with people because as much as we actually had quite a nice time as a family connecting and having uh you know just just making the most out of a bad situation I suppose there did come a point where I felt like I was starting to lose my identity a little bit I was just Ellie the mum I wasn't Ellie the businesswoman or the entrepreneur and I'm someone who does thrive around that in-person energy whether it be talking on stage or going out for meals with clients being at mastermind events all of that kind of thing so I actually, this is going to sound really woo-woo, but I did a meditation. I was doing TM meditation at the time, religiously twice a day. I know, it's um, it. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why I stopped doing it, because I had so many epiphanies from doing the meditation at that time. But it came into my head to do a podcast, and as soon as I'd finished my meditation, I got straight on my phone started firing a couple of voice notes. And initially, it was like Facebook Lives And I was just, I was really shocked that people were interested in listening to anything I have to say, to be honest with you. And up until that point, I used to go traveling up and down the country, uh, never for a fee, always at my own expense to talk about our own journey or talk about real estate, property, mindset, HMOs, whatever it may be. And it probably cost me three, four hundred quid a time I'd take a member of staff with me to take photos, hotels, travel expenses. And there might only be 30 to 50 people in the room. And then there I was on a Sunday night, doing my Sunday series, talking to thousands of people in the end uh, with a glass of red wine, not having to leave my own home. It was like a chat show. That was the sort of theme you could bring your alcohol-free beer or your alcohol, you know, alcoholic drink, whatever it was, on a Sunday night. And I would just chat with people. And uh, in my head, it was like coming up with a one-to-many concept. I was like, so I don't need to lo- like leave my house. I've actually got the... The power, if you like, to connect with hundreds or thousands of people, share this information, inspire people, motivate people, educate them without having to actually go anywhere. And as the captured audience got released back into the wild, that's when we transitioned over to the podcast.
1: Mm. That's an interesting journey, isn't it? You made me think about a lady that called Nushin that's here. When when lockdown happened, she said, I want to start a podcast. Would you help me? And I was like, Yeah, I can give you a bit of advice and she she did 30 episodes in 30 days wow and bear in mind i was doing one a week so it was kind of like that's that six or seven months work to me and she did 30 episodes in 30 days interviewed 30 people that she would ideally like to do business with and she sat there with then a prospect list of red hot people that she spent an hour and a half getting to know and uh hat was taken off to that i was really impressed with that but like you at the beginning of my journey i was doing facebook lives um i remember my mum my first face i you know i had like a, a desk like this with um i had um uh, what did I have? I had my laptop on top of a, a, a paper box and uh, a couple of books. So it was at the right height. I had a couple of lights. So the the, the, the you call it, the tripod, not the big cameras like this, but the, the, the tripods that had the other phones, the old phones yeah. on. One was on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And I remember it all being set up. And I came on and I was really proud as punch. And my mum came into the into the room and she's like, "Hey, darling, how are you?" And I'm like, "Hi, mum." And so I was talking, <laughs> "Hi, mum," and, the, and she, she just typed into the comments, "Why haven't you got a tie on?" <laughs>
0: Oh, that was really funny. My mum typed into my comments for me to stop swearing. Helly, I love what you're doing, but you're really degrading yourself with this language. It's not necessary. You're a very articulate young lady. I'm like, mum, I'm <laughs> meant to be a professional businesswoman. You're literally in my comments telling me to stop using the F-bomb. It was so cringe. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. Have you had
1: any of your family on the podcast?
0: I'm trying to get my husband on the podcast. I'm going to share a story with you that I've never shared with anyone before. So my husband, Mark, and I, we're partners in life and in business. And many years ago, I've always been the, what we, I always sort of say it in jest, but it's true. I'm the face of the business. He's the brains of the business. I just like people and connections. And whenever whenever anyone wants the nitty gritty or to get beyond surface level, I just divert them to Mark for the detail. Yeah. So anyway, we both got asked to go on this podcast and it was a podcast up in Scotland. I'd been on it before, but again, it was very General, I was talking about the journey and the mindset and the resilience that's required to set up a business with three young children and starting with no capital, etc. But they wanted a bit more detail because it was a property podcast about the kind of projects that we were working on, and um, yeah, just just a bit more information. So driving to this podcast, Mark's a little bit nervous, and I've said, "Okay, which of our property deals shall we talk about?" We had about fifteen deals going on at this point. This is back when we thought it was a great idea just to have a chaotic life with a million different projects. And we were just completely um, not out of our depth, but we're, we're busy fools. So we highlighted three or four of our most lucrative deals or interesting deals that we could discuss in more detail on this podcast. And when we got to that point, the podcaster, Paul, asked Mark to talk us through some of the deals that we were working on. He was like a deer trapped in, he's going to kill me for saying this <laughs> He is going to absolutely kill me. He's like a deer trapped in the headlight. And he just went to absolute mush. He started talking about a property deal that were not even secured yet for four new-built houses and started running off all the numbers and things. So I'm kicking him under the table, like, why are you talking about that one? We've not secured that one. And uh, he just got more and more flustered, more and more nervous. We got to the end of the podcast, and I basically said to Paul, Look, you can't put that out. That's It's not factually, factually accurate. I said, well, why are you doing that? He wasn't doing it to deceive anyone or to manipulate anyone. He just, his brain went completely mm. to mush so since then he's really scared to come on my podcast because we've got quite good numbers now and he just doesn't want to repeat that but we wouldn't be live streaming it it would be fine i'm a pussycat really aren't i
1: (laughs) good luck with that yeah my mum came on did she yeah yeah how was it yeah i love my mum she's my mum has no social filter She will say exactly what's on her mind and she'll tell you every embarrassing story she can think of about me. Um, (laughs) Not for for one minute, considering that that's that's recorded and can be listened to over and over again. Um, But I'll I'll have that now, no matter what happens in the future. I will have forever a cherished hour of my mum talking on camera, which um, I don't. you know, it's nothing to do with the podcast. It's all to do with my memories, but uh, it's worth every every minute of it, you know.
0: Interestingly, I was thinking about my granddad's 95 now. I thought it would be quite good to get get him him on. on Get him on. Tell us his stories, you know.
1: Get him on. Because he's got stories that maybe the family have heard a few times, but the rest of the world hasn't. Mm -hmm. And that will be with you forever, okay? And the rest of the world can be touched and moved and inspired by what journey he's been on. So I think that's really important.
0: How did the episode with your mum do in terms of download numbers?
1: It was very early on. It was... I don't know. We're two hundred and fifty episodes in, so wow. maybe it was episode number fifty. So I don't. I, I could. I could guess, but I. I would only be guessing. It didn't. It didn't do badly. It didn't do well. Um, you know, I, I've learned over time that there's been guests that I've really wanted on the podcast, yeah. Like really well-known celebrity guests with big audiences that my audience couldn't give two hoots about, mm-hmm. you know, you know, like really famous people have come on thinking, and I'm like, there's the golden goose, that's mm-hmm. the big daddy. And then it's got like a thousand downloads. Yeah. Like.
0: Hey guys, it's Ellie and I'm super excited to share that I'm partnering up with one of my favourite brands, AG1 by Athletic Green. I'm asked all the time about the one thing that I do to take care of my health. And in reality, there's so many to choose from, But if I could only pick one, it would be Athletic Greens because it ticks so many boxes. Life can get pretty hectic. As a busy mum of three, I know firsthand how easy it is to let your nutrition slip, especially when you're always on the go or traveling. It's easy to neglect the thing that's the most important to us, and that's our health. Since I started taking AG1, it's been a game changer. My energy levels have been through the roof. My hair and skin feel amazing, my digestion's improved, and I'm even sleeping better. It's a real deal. The ingredients are sourced from the highest quality producers from around the world. But what I love most about it is that all my nutritional bases are covered with one scoop. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and probiotics, which means it's replaced a ton of other supplements that was previously taken. It's my secret weapon. It helps me show up as the best version of myself every single day, all from adding one simple habit. But don't just take my word for it. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash on a mission. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash on our mission. Check it out. What's that that's, in there?
1: That's, but that's such and such. And I'll go back and look at the micros, and the micros for me are still good. Yeah. Um, um, but we've never, we, know, the, tr- the truth is, we've never spent a penny on advertising the podcast. So not a penny has ever gone into marketing, not a penny has ever gone into ad spend on on any social media platform. Um, You just hoped that some of them would do better than they do. And then you get ones that you're sitting there and you're like, "Okay, right. You know, I've said I'll do it, so I'll do it. And then they turn out to be smash hits, you know.
0: A friend of mine, I'll not say who is, but he paid £28,000 to get Tyson Fury on the podcast He then, a couple of weeks later, recorded one with his wife to keep it on topic. And the episode with his wife massively outperformed the one with Tyson Fury that he paid 28 grand for. Wow. Mm.
1: I wouldn't pay that kind of money to have a guest on. No, it's
0: nuts, isn't it? Yeah. I paid for one guest. I'll not say who it was, but it was right at the very start.
1: Who? What should I tell you? Just tell me.
0: Ricky Hatton. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh God. You wouldn't guess my Ricky Hatton story. I can't believe you said that. So we had Ricky Hatton come out here and do a, an event. Must be, must be 10, 15 years ago. He came out here, he did an event and, and, uh, 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 at the golf club. All the guys, dinner, Ricky Hatton talks, you know, an evening with type of thing, yeah? So Ricky Hatton comes in, he does his old thing. Brilliant, amazing, wonderful. Everyone loves it. He's singing Blue Moon. It's been a great success. Clients have loved it. It's been brilliant. That's the Saturday night on Monday morning the front page of The Sun Ricky Hatton's cocaine shame
0: oh no a year of end <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't have picked worse time and if you tried now we had to pay for him to come out and all that kind of stuff okay but you paid for Ricky to come that's interesting
0: well because it was right at the start it was yeah. the best yeah. money I've ever spent I just saw it as a marketing fee because it's the power of perception mm. when you launch as you know your numbers aren't amazing you know you got your mum and your dad maybe a couple of aunties if you're lucky sending this to anyone who will listen and they're getting halfway through half the time and then then abandoning it But when we had Ricky Hatton and we were then able to leverage that for future guests, I just found it really, really easy. People stopped asking me what the numbers were. I'm like, yeah, we've got this podcast, we've had Ricky Hatton, we've had such and such as well. And they're going, oh, right, well, if it's good enough for Ricky, it's good enough for me. Kind of brings me on to when we met up last time I was in Dubai and we we were having a coffee and we were having a lovely chat and we're talking about all the usual stuff, business, life, families, you just lit up. We started to talk about the other side of your life, your true sort of passion, your true mission. This podcast is called On a Mission, and from chatting to you, that twinkling in your eyes, I could just see a man on a mission. And it was really interesting to see how your own life has evolved over the years. Your own definition of success has changed over the years, and now the fact that you're using your platform, which is a considerable platform to promote some of the more ugly sides of humanity.
1: Mm-hmm. While you're here, do you want to meet them?
0: Yeah, I'd love to. You want to. to meet the girls? Yeah, I'd
1: love to. Okay, we're going to Iftar with them one evening while you're here. Look, I, I, I'm quite ashamed of who I was when I look back. Um, and that's not to say everybody should be ashamed. It's just that when, when your focus in life is making money, and getting attention and external validation when when that's your whole goal in life, you'll work out eventually that it isn't a very worthy goal. You know, and a lot of people say, "Well, financial security matters." You know, and having loads of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I get, I get it. I'm not suggesting live like a you know live, live like a pauper, but to be driven solely by money and material gain to me is quite ugly. Um, it wasn't. But it became ugly when I was able then to give perspective by having stuff to compare it to, and since making the documentary and spending time with these these kids from Bangladesh and from Nepal and working with people that have been human trafficked, it just it just made me look at everything, and I wondered who I was, and I really did wonder who I was and what was I chasing and what what, what mattered. And then I met people that, you know, such as Maria, who's in the in the documentary, and Hannah. I met people that had a mission and a cause that was so worthy and so credible and so worth getting behind that it just gave me further reminders that you can have as many houses as you want. You know, you can have as much Bitcoin as you want. You can sit down and drive your flowing Range Rovers, Ferraris, and whatever it is. There is nothing that makes me feel better than knowing I've played a tiny part in the lives of these kids and continue to get the the joy of being exposed to them. And if you come with me, I'll, I'll show you. It doesn't matter what mood you're in. It doesn't matter. You can be on the depths of despair. You can be bordering on suicidal. and Go and spend an hour with them and you realize how lucky you really are. And when you do it, it's like an injection that goes in and it pumps into my veins and it lasts a week until I see them again. And it's just a word that I thought was cheesy and and cliche for so long. And that word was gratitude. I had nothing to be grateful for. And then I spent time with them and I realized I had everything to be grateful for.
0: So how did all this come about then, Spencer?
1: So the story goes as follows, it's absolutely from the podcast and from an organization I was part of called the Global Sustainability Network. So here in Dubai, there's a a members club called the Capital Club. And in that members club, every Saturday, there's something called uh, the Capital Social Club, which was uh, essentially a group of us would get together and we would talk about the UN Global Sustainability Goals. And... We would have speakers come in and talk about what they were doing and the differences they were making. So the guy that won the Nobel Peace Prize, Kailash Satyati, came in and he saved 80,000 kids out of child slave labor in India with his own hands. And um, remember the girl Malala years ago that won the Nobel Peace Prize? He won at the same time as her. And he's, he's got a documentary on Netflix called The Price of Free. And I watched that and it was, I was really moved by it. And then I met this lady called Maria concier Sau, and she'd done this amazing stuff. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. This is really powerful stuff. And then I interviewed a guy called Leon Logothetis, who's the producer and presenter of a really much-loved TV show on Netflix called The Kindness Diaries, where he traveled around the world relying on the kindness of others. No, uh, he could, no money, just food, shelter and fuel he could accept. But when he saw an extreme act of kindness, he repaid it with a life-changing gift. And it was life-changing for those people. There was a guy in India that had a... Uh, his whole life was about making money through this tuk-tuk. And the tuk-tuk was broken and couldn't be repaired and it was done. And, but he took Leon in and took care of him and whatnot. And Leon bought him a tuk-tuk. There was a homeless guy in LA. Leon got him an apartment. All these kind of like amazing things. A dog shelter down in South America. And, and Leon's only friend when he was a boy was his dog. He didn't have any friends. And so this dog shelter and he paid for 100 dogs to be taken care of for a year. Like really, really like, I mean, you sit there with a box of tissues watching it. You just cry your eyes out. It's so lovely anyway Leon's on the podcast we're chatting away at the end of the podcast I love it love it love it I'm like jealous of you because you have a tv show and I don't and as we sat here right now he looked at me and he went oh, why don't you and either a load of bullshit was going to come out or nothing and what came out was nothing I had no words and he said oh, look, I'll give you an hour of my time for the next six weekends every Saturday morning he said as long as you're free at that time we'll spend an hour and we'll brainstorm and if we can come up with an idea then I'll help you make a tv show and so that was amazing you know the fact that he offered to do that and so we sat brainstorming and he wanted you know he understood the global sustainability goals he understood what them what mattered but they were trying to create a show that wasn't in line 100 percent with what i wanted and they're like yeah it's good for the viewers though and i'm like i can't do it if i don't believe in it now, under the sustainability goals, you know, I, I and other people will be, but I'm not as motivated about the dehorning of rhino, rhinos in Africa as I am about children being saved from child slave labor. And so I wanted to go in that direction. And then they were like, Spence, you've got to understand something. This is super dangerous. Drugs are sold once. People's are so, people are sold over and over. You're going to get into a world that's very scary. Your, your wife is going to get death threats. You're going to get death threats. It's not It's not pleasant. So I had that kind of like, "I'm um in an oh in between my mind. I was like, "No, that's what I need to do. I have to do it." And Maria, whose story is just incredible, was kind of like the catalyst for all of that. And after Maria, now she's got 10 Guinness World Records. She saved 700 children from the slums of Bangladesh. I mean, the woman is superhuman in every way, the most successful person I've ever met, but she doesn't have a penny. Mm -hmm. the most credible person I've ever met. She doesn't have a penny. The most, most decent human being you can imagine with the biggest mission ever. And she doesn't have a penny. And I look at that and I'm like, why are we measuring things with money? Mm. You know, what are you doing with that money? Oh, you're buying some more Gucci and Louis Vuitton, are you? What are you doing with that? Tell me what you're doing. Oh, you're going to get a bigger car and more payments on your fancy car. Oh, you want to buy a new suit, do you? That's what matters. Does that really matter? Well, Maria, that doesn't matter. And the greatest example of that is when she Googled how to raise money for charity.
0: Well, let's just stop and pause and tell us a little bit about Maria's story because it's incredible.
1: Oh man! So Maria, I get a bit emotional with this sometimes. So please forgive me if I do. So Maria, born two years uh, sorry two years old um, in Portugal. Um, She's got a mum. She's a single family. Mum needs to go find work in Lisbon. Drops Maria off with another lady called Maria Christina, who is a refugee. Maria's mum never comes back. And so she's brought up by this refugee. When she's 12 years old, she starts working. She, and Maria's uh, then essentially adopted mother then dies.
0: What, what happened to her biological mother?
1: Disappeared, never came back. Just went to Lisbon, looked for work, never came back. So she'd been abandoned, you know, and so she knows what it feels like. So she gets a job as a cleaner and she goes, I'm going to be the Ronaldo of cleaners. And so she works as a cleaner Then goes to Switzerland because she wants to be a cleaner, but she wants to learn a language. She's involved in a hit and run while she's in Switzerland. She goes to hospital. Switzerland's not part of the EU, so she couldn't work there. And so after she comes out of hospital, they kick her out. Then she goes to London. She works as a housekeeper in London. And bear in mind to learn languages and to grow. She sees a sign on the side of the motorway saying uh, Emirates cabin crew. She's like, if I could get a job like that, that's a dream come true. And cut a long story short, she gets a job. She comes to Dubai. She's cabin crew. You know, the most amazing thing in her life is happening. And one of her, her first flights is to Bangladesh, to Dakar. She's got a two-day layover there. She walks around the street. She sees the kids in the slums. And she decides she wants to help one family. So she flies back here, sells possessions, flies back to Bangladesh to help one family. But while she's there, she realizes she can't help one family. She has to help more. And so she Googles how to raise money for charity. And the first thing that comes up is climb Everest. Now bear in mind, this is a woman that's never set foot in a gym, let alone been on a run. But it said on Google, if you climb Everest, that's the best way to raise money for charity. So she becomes the first and the only Portuguese lady to ever climb Everest to the summit. And that's her first uh, accomplishment, And when I talk to her about it, I'm like, I've been to Everest. I'm like, this is massive, Maria. It's the biggest mountain in the world. It's huge. And she's like, yeah, but I, I needed to do it so I could help the girls. So for her, it's an obstacle in the way of helping these mm-hmm. kids. Well, anyway, she raises some money. She then thinks, how else can I do this? And so she she climbs every mountain in the bloody world. She swims the English Channel. She goes to the North Pole, South Pole, eight Ironmans in eight weeks in eight countries, eight marathons in eight days in eight continents, Like, like, no, she's the only person ever to run a marathon in in Antarctica. So she's done all of this stuff to raise money. And these kids couldn't come to Dubai without speaking English. So the first deal she had to work out was how am I going to teach them English? And so she created a school in Bangladesh where these children, very small children, came into the school. They learn English. And then from there, she can bring them to Dubai and she can get them scholarships and she can educate them. And we are now 700 kids in um, she has 70 kids here right now she lives in a two-bedroom flat there's 22 girls living with her in the two-bedroom flat and all she cares about is the helping these kids in bangladesh she's just an incredible human being and remember bear in mind all these children in the slums get married at the age of 12 so roughly 12 when they have their first period to a man who's 30 mm. which they have to have sex with and have children with and it's like that's not a life and because of Maria's own suffering, I think it's the same thing. When, we, when you and I feel pain in some way, we can see it in others, can't we? We identify it very quickly and we can connect with it. And I think because she really suffered as a kid, she saw this suffering and she was like, no, I can't allow this. And she's made it her life's work.
0: How do you get to attack the root cause of this? Because there's over 8 million children a year that are trafficked and that's not even including the children that are kept in slavery.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, you have to look at where it starts Mm. and unfortunately it goes all the way to the top i mean i've had enough guests on the show now to know a lot about politics politicians big business power um and control and that's really what it's all about why 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 are people being trafficked it's business it's to make money they take kids out of one country put them in another i mean i was in filming the documentary in um in nepal and the community that we were at in Nepal and we literally, we were in the middle of nowhere. We were in a lion reserve of which the, when we were driving in the car to this village, we were told that two days before somebody had been killed by a lion on their motorbike, when a lion had jumped out of the, or tiger or whatever it was, had jumped out of the bushes and grabbed them on the motorbike and ate them. And they were talking about it like someone had, you know, scratched, scratched their knee. And I'm like, well, what happens now? They're like, yeah, you're not allowed out on your motor- motorbike unless there's two of you at a time. Now <laughs> it's just like we were in the middle of nowhere, mud huts and everything. It's that like middle of nowhere, and we met this 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 community, the baddie community. And at nine years old, every girl becomes a prostitute. Nine, nine years old, and we we were in a, we were in a community where there's mud huts, there's um, uh, a borehole there that has been put to help provide them water. They don't own the land. They have they have no electricity, so there's no running water, no air conditioning, but they've all got a mobile phone because that's how they get their business from a mobile phone. And they've all got makeup, and they're nine years old. And when you ask them who their clients are, policemen, politicians, businessmen, but that's how it is there. And and and. The girl Hannah that fought against that she was she ran away. She's like, I'm not going to do this. And while we were filming in Nepal, we actually got invited to meet the president of the country, and we had an audience with her, and she promised to help. Um, but I look at these, I look at these countries that allow this, and as much as you and I will find it horrifying and disgusting, it's it's a way of life that's different to ours. You know, some of the things that we do with our lives, they look at and they're like, you know. And they wouldn't understand for the life of me why we would go and pursue the desire to get an even bigger car on HP. Mm. They wouldn't understand on why anybody could spend five thousand dollars on a handbag. I mean, it just it, for them, they think that that that's ridiculous. And when you think about it, it is. What? Where's the logic in spending eight thousand dollars on a Chanel handbag? What? 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 What does that do for anyone?
0: Do you think it's because the vast majority of people are living in their own protected bubble and are typically unaware of the atrocities that go on in the world to this degree because I had no idea myself that eight million children were trafficked every single year up until relatively recently
1: I think people choose. you watch people sometimes oh, i don't know my wife is a good example. Oh, I don't want to see that that's that that makes me really sad. I'm like, yes. I want it to make you really sad because I want it to hit a nerve. I want it to connect with you in some way. Um, you know, w- w- even in the UK, people turn a blind eye to what goes on on their doorstep. I mean, how many how many people talk to the homeless people on the streets? Mm-hmm. Uh, how many people are helping the homeless people? If in America, when lockdown happened a couple of years ago, they, 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 they housed all the homeless people in New York mm-hmm. and then they let them out again. Yeah. It's like they can solve the problem. It's, lots of these problems can be solved. But everyone's too busy taking the money and shoving it in their pocket and going, me, me, me. You know, there's people out there that think it's, you know, absolutely normal to have 10 handbags that cost $5,000 each or, you know, uh, or, or jewelry or, or clothes or possessions. And it's like, of course, you should enjoy nice things if you've worked hard to earn them. But if you see what other people go through, I think your level of compassion and empathy grows. And what we all need to do as as humanity is to work harder at trying to be kinder. If we did that, then a lot of these problems wouldn't exist. You know, human trafficking takes place in every town Mm -hmm. and every city in the UK. You can go to Belgravia, you can go to Mayfair, the poshest parts of London, it's there. Coventry, Rotherham, um, Doncaster, Sheffield, Newcastle, it's everywhere everywhere. It's taking place right under our noses, but we do nothing about it. We see homelessness goes under our noses. But we do nothing about it. Go and try. I mean, I've been camping on Kilimanjaro in a tent in a minus 30 sleeping bag, and I've not been able to sleep a wink because of how cold it is. Imagine being a homeless person on the streets of the UK in the middle of January, sleeping in a doorway, literally sleeping in a doorway because you've got nowhere to go.
0: It's horrendous. When you talk about Bangladesh and Nepal, but also the UK, it really hits home. I had a lady on my podcast previously who's from Leicester. Leicester, born and bred, raped by her own father. Her sister was sold by her own family for organ harvesting. It's absolutely horrific. Horrific. Mm -hmm. But yet the feedback I got from that podcast was... um, overwhelming empathy and support for the lady but also I I was very surprised by the amount of comments I got from people saying that I should stick to inspirational stories motivational stories people didn't actually want to know it and that shocked me more than anything and I get that because as a as an entrepreneur I like to think of myself as a high performance person I'm always talking about protecting that emotional bank account and surrounding myself with positivity but where do you draw the line? Because you, you because can't be a to it. That's because it's
1: positioned wrong, Ellie. Like with the girls, the girls remind me of how lucky I am. Yeah. The girls give me a dose of gratitude. The girls make me feel, feel like I'm actually doing something that matters. And so if you want to be a really successful entrepreneur, the, the most successful people out there are the people trying to solve a problem, not trying to mm-hmm. make money. They're trying to solve a problem. And if you can link to the the great that you do with your business to try and support the more vulnerable, vulnerable people in society, you don't have to give away all your profits. Okay, but what difference would it really make if you gave away five percent of your net profit every year? Okay, to try and make the world a better place for in your own community, what difference would it really make? You know, whether you're a big or a small business, that might be five hundred quid. It might be five hundred thousand. Really though, as a percentage of your net net profit, what difference would it really make? And for me, it's like that 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 commitment to doing that. The payback is way way bigger. Because now business for me is all about purpose. It's all about mission. It's like, what can I do to help? Is it, you know, I, it, when people realize that you're doing it for more than just money and you're really trying to solve for a problem and you really care, what happens is you, so people get swept up. What you said to me earlier about someone, or you had comments on the podcast of people saying, you know, stick to a certain, yeah. you know. I had somebody who's a close friend of mine say it to me once. I listened to your podcast, but I've had to stop. It's just got too depressing. And I, and I listened to it and i was like oh maybe i should stop that and then i was like it doesn't depress me mm. and at the end of the day my my job with my podcast and i think your job with your podcast is is to help people see see the world differently to the way they see it to step outside of their own environment and start seeing what can be done and you know a little example you and I, last time we talked, brainstormed something about sponsorship. Yes. Okay, you hadn't thought of that angle. I'd thought of that angle. I share it with you. Light bulb goes off and you're like, holy macaroni, there's an opportunity there. I hadn't thought about it. I'm going to try that, yeah? And by trying that, you then get a result and you've fed back to me twice now. Hey, Spence, thank you so much for sharing that information. It made a difference because once was today and the other one was by WhatsApp after mm-hmm. you after you got a result, yeah? And so that, that changed a little bit, not everything, but a little bit of the direction to help you grow. And what What's wrong with doing it that way? What's wrong with looking at how we can do it with other families? You know, I promise you, if you come with me to Iftar with these girls and you spend time with them, you, it's forever. It's, it becomes a lifetime because forever they will be in your hearts and forever you will care about them. And you will want your children to see them because we live in opulent Dubai. You want your children to see them and be grounded by them. You want your children to learn from them. You want them to learn from your children too. But I promise you forever after one meeting, okay, it will be hard to never, ever get them out of your head. And so that that for me... And then what does it do? It reminds us again how grateful we are, how lucky we are, you know, and the days that we have that are dark and when we're miserable and we're feeling down and we lose that sale or we lose that client or that guest doesn't come on the show, or whatever it might be. Okay. We sit there and, oh, poor me, I'm a bloody victim. And, you know, the world's so bloody difficult. I oh know. Why does it have to happen to me? And then in that moment you go, oh yeah. Oh, I'm lucky, aren't I? And it's, it, it, it makes you stop and realize. And I think we all need this. We need to get out of this this, this space that we sit in where we feel victim and, and vulnerable. And, and you know, uh, uh, oh, I, I didn't get the amount of revenue in my business because, you know, those five people said no to me. It's like, well, how many did you call? Six. Oh, it's like, woe is me. Watch, watch a 12-year-old girl tell you how she had to run away because she was going to be raped. A little pretty, beautiful, kind, with big brown eyes and a big smile looking at you, okay, telling you as tears roll down her cheek that that's what she had to do. I haven't got any problems. I've got no problems, like none, okay, after being with them. And that's the gratitude I have for it.
0: It's so interesting hearing you talk with such passion because on the first podcast we discussed your own backstory and the fact that you were very, very low suicidal. Mm -hmm. Had your dad not turned up, unannounced your house, things could have ended very, very differently. Well, they would have ended. They would have ended, yeah, and, and that's obviously final. But from what you're saying there, if people were to open their eyes to these atrocities and to get involved, which makes complete sense the context that he puts to their own life you know it's the best antidepressant that anyone could ever have and rather than it was interesting because actually when we met for a coffee it was one of the questions I asked you I don't know if you'd remember but I said as someone who is prone to depression as I am from a mental health point of view, how do you protect yourself while making such a fantastic contribution to these girls? Because I've always wanted to be more involved with charities, but I've never really been able to allow myself to go to that space and protect my mental energy. And it's really interesting to hear the perspective that you put on that. It's so selfless, but it's so necessary as well. And it's true passion, true purpose is about putting other people before yourself and having something that's bigger than you to motivate you when the times are tough
1: it's the, actually the most selfish thing you can do selfishly when you think about mm.
0: it
1: how many hours do we spend with therapists how much money do we spend getting antidepressants how much time do we spend talking to people about our depression and driving everyone mad with our own misery yeah you can't be depressed when you spend time with these girls it's it's there, there is um I, I don't know I don't have a vocabulary good enough to use to, to describe it, but there's the 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 chemical, the psychological, the, the 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 emotional reaction, you'd be ashamed of yourself if you were to be depressed after being with them. You'd you'd you wouldn't be very happy with yourself, you know? You'd feel like a bit of a fool. Because what right do you have to fight and argue for depression when you're with these kids? You just don't. And so it goes, you know, they talk about people. And you know, if you go and exercise every morning, it helps deal with your mental health and your mental health is strong because of it. Yes, absolutely. Okay, what are you doing? You're investing in in doing some exercise, getting the blood blood pumping, getting the heart pumping, sorry, um, and getting some positive endorphins going through your body and feeling good about yourself so that when you walk out of the gym after the 60 minutes of hate, okay, you can feel great <laughs> about your day, yeah? That, 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 you know, and I don't like going to the gym, but I have to go. Go, go, go on a Saturday morning and say to the girls, you want to come hiking? Taking those girls hiking on a Saturday morning is like taking our kids, okay, to live with Mickey Mouse for a week at Disney, okay, in the ultimate VVIP trip, okay? That's the equivalent to them, what we're going hiking. And on the way back, we stop at a gas station and I buy them all an ice cream, a bag of chips and a drink, you don't see gratitude the way you see it from there in that moment. They can't believe that what we can choose our own ice cream. Yep, whatever one you want. Whatever one we want. Whatever one you want. There's the freezer there. We're in the gas station, okay, and let, choose. Uh, go and get a bag of chips because I know you like all oh, like Doritos or whatever it is. Go and get a bag of chips and get yourself a drink. Well, any drink. Yeah, any drink. Open the fridge. I don't care whether it's Gatorade or water or Coke. I don't care. Get whatever you want. They're buzzing. They're on fire. They're just like, they're, you've literally given them an amazing experience and all you did was took them hiking and stopped at the gas station on the way home and got some snacks. That, that feels so good that then you, you don't, you, shame on you for trying to get depressed after that. Shame on you for feeling sorry for yourself. Shame on you for feeling like a victim. Shame on you. And there'll be people listening going, oh, but depression doesn't work like that. Trust me clinically depressed, on antidepressants, suicidal. It does, or it definitely did for me. And for anyone that doesn't believe it, try it first. Because if it does work for you, you end up getting to the place that I'm at. And my God, do I feel like I'm a lucky human being now. And I didn't feel that for 45 years.
0: What advice would you give or how can people get involved who perhaps aren't in your financial position? Because I think so many of us prolong or contribution, when I get to X amount, when I achieve financial freedom, when I have X amount of money in the bank, then I will start to do more, give more, be more. But really there's no time like the present. How can we make it more inclusive?
1: It's such a great question, but it's also a really sad question. Mm. Elliot costs you nothing. It's time. Mm -hmm. If you were to dedicate one day a month, one day, that's it, one day a month, to try to help others, to try to help your community in some way, to try to help those that that woman who's been um, uh, kicked out by a landlord to try and help her to try and help that that guy that's lost his job and is struggling to find a new job to try and help that community where the kids have come out of an abusive relationship and you can show them love and compassion and you can take him to the, the 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 local blooming i don't know mcdonald's for a burger and a shake it doesn't cost money Yes, I have donated and given money and, 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 and other people I know have done the same, but it doesn't always take money. The, uh, I, w- I would argue that of all the girls I work with, you don't need to give them anything but love and attention because if you give them love and attention, you, you do so much for them. You help them be better at school, you help them focus better. Um, one thing that's valuable, that is way more valuable than money is everybody's phone. Because in your phone is a whole bunch of other people mm. and everybody's got a bunch of contacts in their phone and they might have someone in there that could help. They might have a school headmaster that could do scholarships. There might be a, a, a sports shop that could provide running shoes There might or, or climbing gear, For in this example. There might be an ice cream company that gives free ice cream. You know what I mean? <laughs> because they, there's a company here called KCOW uh, who do pre-prepared meals and those girls get delivered those meals every day. Every day for free, KCAL deliver. And there's loads of them, there's 70 of them. They get all their meals delivered for free every day. So they've got three meals a day that are delivered by KCAL for those kids, okay? And, and obviously KCAL is a cost of their business, but they pay for that. We can all do something. You know, I know if I took you now to see them with your beautiful, bright dress on, they'd be fascinated by your dress. Honestly, they'd love your dress. It's so colorful and bright. And they'd be talking to you for ages about your dress. And you'd be coming away. You'd be buzzing, okay, because of how they would see you. We can all do something. And it starts with giving some time. And it starts by saying once a month, one day a month, and you can go onto every volunteering website that exists. You can follow charities that you care about, whether that's animal shelters, whether that's kids, whether that's adults, whether that's people with disabilities. You know, my sister's got Asperger's. Go and spend time in a school with kids are learning to dis- disabilities once a month. Go and spend the day there. Go and be a teacher's assistant for the day in a school with kids with learning disabilities. You get the same injection, you come away with gratitude. And that's, 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 that's your reward. That's your reward.
0: Are you seeing any change from the top is there enough being done at that governmental level to actually drive sustainable change for these children
1: it's it's how you how you look at a corrupt system you need you need the, in Nepal the president said to us and bear in mind so just so give it perspective Nepal has a caste system just like in India and there's 126 castes in Nepal below those 126 castes is the baddi community they're like the scum of the earth, the lowest, lowest of the low, as far as the system believes. You're not allowed to go to school. You're not allowed to go into a shop and buy things. You're that low, okay? And I'm in the presidential palace in Nepal with Hannah Baddy, the girl that ran away that saved these kids, and the president in an you uh, know unfathomable as you watched it, um, unprecedented. She took Hannah. Into her arms, put her head on her chest, and she hugged her and held her, and she said, I will fight for you. And when she said, I will fight for you, the president, okay, that meant more to Hannah and the baddie people than ever, because that meant someone up there has just acknowledged that they exist. And that was gold. And on the back of that now, Hannah's had the opportunity to be able to go and tell her story, okay. increase the value of her story because now the president's behind her okay and fight for more you know bear in mind this this kid in nepal this girl hannah she ran away she met a preacher the preacher had to go to the philippines to preach he got cancer when he was in the philippines throat cancer and he prayed and he said to god if you get me through this cancer i will fight for this community he got through cancer. The preacher fought for Hannah. They built a school in Kathmandu. They've taken 600 girls into the school in Kathmandu. You'll see it in the documentary when I'm, when I'm there. And these girls, again, being given an education, that's a really important thing to start with. You know, give them hope. Give them a way of understanding. Give them a future. Know that they won't be prostitutes. I mean, you just think about it. I mean, you just think about it in our world. Okay, in the town that you're in right now, the city you're in right now, imagine everyone's kids at nine years old, really sorry, okay, but you have to go and fuck strangers. Just imagine that, okay? We would at, we would go mad. We would kill people if that was going to happen. There'd be uproar on the streets, but that is what they have to cope with. And so to, to take people out of those types of situations and know that the president has put up a flag and basically said, come on, I'll do this with you. To what degree? We don't know yet. Okay. Is a start. Can it be fixed overnight? No. Okay. But at least some people in some places are doing something about it. On a flip side, in Spain, they're doing nothing. I went to a refugee camp in Spain in a place called Almería, which is the tomato capital of the world, where there's these workers that aren't allowed to work because they can't work illegally. But the farmers need them to work because they need workers on the fields. But the government won't let them work because they're there illegally. These are refugees from North Africa. One lad from Nigeria, hitchhiked from Nigeria all the way to Morocco, come across the water, paddled across at night with five other kids, got to Spain, walked and walked and walked. They get there. He gets there and he wants to work. He's, he's, all he's doing is coming for work. Give me a job. I don't care what it is. I'll work all right the farmers haven't got the workers and so he's prepared to work but there's so much bureaucracy in spain that they stop that facilitation taking place and it's like spain is the first world it's like what's going on down at dover and whatnot we're in the first world in the uk we should know better Mm -hmm. than to be full of the crap and nonsense that we have on a regular basis the bullshit excuses that we use to try and justify why we can't solve this problem all of these problems are solvable okay they're all solvable oh it's complicated yeah so is the Rubik's cube. What well, We solved it, you know. <laughs> it's com- So is Pythagoras' theory. Yeah. But we solved it. All these things are possible. We created the internet. We put people into space. We put people on the moon, okay, and we can't solve that.
0: Mm, I think it's that we don't want to solve that. Right. No.
1: So everything can be solved. It's just a case of deciding. And the problem that we have as a populace is we don't put the right people in power because we choose the people based upon information that isn't correct. We're lied to just like we were with Brexit and people buy the lies. Mm. Just like we were with COVID as well. But I won't say that out loud because you'll probably have your podcast. Canceled. Yeah, yeah, I've
0: done pl- <laughs> plenty of that. Yes, misinformation's uh, the w- word that's been weaponized a lot recently. It's interesting though because I had a, a previous podcast guest on um, Ollie Ollerton. He'd be a good one for your show as well because he actually went out to Thailand and he was doing some undercover operations, Green Man operations, rescuing these children that were being enslaved into the sex industry, young children from age five and rescuing them but the government ended up turning on them and they had to evacuate they had to flee do a midnight flip and it's just really interesting when you speak to people in a little bit more depth the it's hard for us to understand as westerners who've been brought up in such a safe and secure environment that the people in power the <laughs> the people that were meant to put our trust in it's not just that they're aware of it but they're actually financially benefiting from it and unless we completely overhaul the system, it's hard to see how we can really change that.
1: Sadly, yeah. But what we have to fight for is giving everyone a chance. Mm. We have to fight for everyone having an opportunity. You know, if someone does nothing with the opportunity they're given, then that's on them.
0: And there has to be hope as well, because too many people don't make a contribution because of that. Well, I'm just one person, what can I do? What change can I make? It's gonna be- Imagine if
1: everyone in the UK, Everyone in the UK helped one person, Mm. one person, everything would change. If we all helped one person, everything would change. We don't have to help a hundred people. We don't have to be overwhelmed with something. Okay. You tell me you've got a friend that's struggling and they're struggling with X, whatever that X may be. And I go and help them. Mm. I tell you, I've got a friend struggling with B and you go and help them with their issue with B. We'd, We'd solve a lot of these problems overnight. Mm. you know we really would and we need to show the politicians that we're not you know sheep and we have to stand up and fight for what's the right thing to stand up for and the only way we can do that is not to go and stand outside the houses of parliament with banners or we'll glue our hands to the blooming tarmac on a motorway for <laughs> stupid or for sorry, soup on a mona lisa picture whatever it is it's just like we we need to we need to act in a much smarter smarter way yeah. and by going out and helping one person if everyone did that You went out once a month and you helped one person. That could be I can mow an old lady's lady's lawn. You know, it could be you sit with the old lady for the day because she's lonely. Everyone in her family is dead. She doesn't know anyone. Okay. And you just make her feel better. Mm. I promise you, you will feel amazing. Okay.
0: That just reminds me when I uh, I started off doing double glazing sales back oh, yeah. in the day when I was like sixteen years old. Windows and doors. I did that as well oh, on the phones, calling through the it. phone book. So I was working in Burger King at the time, just a little sidebar. And uh, a friend of mine came in and said, "Oh, what are you doing here?" Because we were in a neighbouring town. She said, "Oh, I'm just working around the corner at Zenith Windows." Was the company back Zenith. in the day? <laughs> um, I said, "Oh, what are you doing?" She was telling me outbound sales. I was like, "Hang on, stop." You're telling me you actually get paid to speak. I felt like all my prayers were being answered at that moment. So I immediately quit my job at Burger King, went round the corner to Zenith Windows, who were hiring on the spot, got an extra 40p an hour. And um, yeah, I was just loving life. But I used to find that there was a lot of elderly people. They can be pretty brutal on the phone, actually. They can be the worst but there was a lot of lonely people out there that mm. didn't see friends, they didn't see family. And I almost got sacked because I would spend way too long on the phone to these people. And in the end, after I got a verbal warning, I was taking their numbers. And then all my breaks, my lunch hours and after hours, I was bringing these old people back who were like lonely just to give them that little bit of company. But I just felt like I was making such a contribution. It was mm. completely that 10, 20 minutes, whatever it was you could spare, completely transformed Mm. someone's entire day, their entire week, you know, and it Mm. was just that little bit of perspective. But it was very interesting because obviously we're moving out to Dubai in August. I've got three young children, five, six and 10. And one of... People have a problem for every solution, don't they, in the UK? I'm sure it's the same everywhere else. But one of the things that keeps cropping up is, aren't you worried about the fact that they're going to have this ridiculously privileged life compared to a lot of people? And they are going to be very lucky. It's all private education out here. It's just there's no crime. There's so many advantages. I'm sure there's some disadvantages as well. But... It's a good set of problems to have for a parent. I mean I was bullied at school, there was gangs, there was violence, there was drugs, I had bricks through the windows. It was quite a horrendous time but there's a lot of different ways to ground your children and to make your children humble and appreciative by having the sort of conversations that we're having now without them having to go through the hard yards that we went through as children. Presumably you you had similar in the UK as well. Um, I'm sure school's not a horrible experience for everyone but doing this podcast the vast majority I speak to do not speak fondly over those quite formative years to be able to take my children to meet your girls to show them firsthand that I say darker side of humanity but really just to to flip that on its head as well and to experience the gratitude for their life, I think is so powerful because at the moment, as they're going to KFC after swimming, me saying to them, this is a treat, you know, we used to only go to whatever it was called, Burger King or Mr. Um, Wimpy, it was Wimpy back in the (laughs) day. We used to just go on birthdays, going to the cinema was such a treat. But they're like, yeah, mom, you say that twice a week as you're taking us for our fast food, you know. I'm Making myself like sound like a really shit mum here, but I think yeah, <laughs> d- just for a bit of context, it's not just telling them; it's actually showing them, isn't it? You,
1: you your kids, the, the, it, we can't we can't do the judgment here. But let's 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 talk about it. If they're arriving in August, let's talk about it in December, and see what a difference it's made of them being exposed to these kids that haven't got what they've got. Mm-hmm. And and I don't mean expose it, make friendships. Yeah. Because it will make them, I just think by default, it will make them better human beings. And I think that's for everybody. And I think that's what the, the goal has to be.
0: I think it makes us all better human beings, so Spencer, because you've achieved so much in life and in business, but you're just a completely different man when you start talking about the girls and you start talking about the. Look, I don't. I
1: I have real issues with this. So I don't see myself as a successful business person at all. So I really struggle with that. Um, What? (coughs) Well, that's
0: interesting.
1: Yeah, I I really struggle with that. That's not something I find I'm comfortable with at all. Um, but
0: why is that then? What's your definition of a successful (coughs) business person?
1: Well, what's yours?
0: I don't know if I was running nine-figure businesses. I'd like to think I was feeling pretty accomplished. I, I would be feeling accomplished.
1: Oh. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I. I feel probably I've. I could have used the last sixteen. So I was two and twenty-three. I could have used the last six years better than I have. I haven't used it as well as I could have done. I could have done more of what I what I care about, and I could have. I could have made more of a difference and I didn't. So I look back on that and I don't consider it to be hugely successful. In terms of business, yeah, I just, there are other people that are way more successful in business than me. And it doesn't matter where you are in business, there will always be lots of people way better than you. So you don't compare yourself to the green grocer on the high street, you compare yourself to the guy that owns the oil company, you know? Um, And I think that's just by default how a competitive business person will be. So when you say, and I don't, everyone says, not other, other people say this, you know, you're a really successful business person. I'm like, where's the success? You know, where's the, where, where's this success that I have? Well, you know, you've done this amount of, uh, what, revenue, income, profits. What, I've made money.
0: Well, what's the other barometer <coughs> though for business? I understand in life that success is about a lot more than just money.
1: If you've only got business in your life, you're going to have a really empty life. <coughs> um.
0: But what's your definition of a successful business person then?
1: Probably someone that's worth or, or that has hundreds of millions to start with. You know this, how many seconds is a million seconds? How many days is that? Do you know? No. <laughs> so a million seconds is 11 days.
0: A million seconds is 11 days. Okay.
1: Okay. A billion seconds... Is 32 years so i'll repeat that again a million seconds adds up to 11 days a billion seconds adds up to 32 years so can you see how much bigger 11 days to 32 years okay how much bigger a billion is so when you see someone who's a billionaire that that's a successful business person how many billionaires were created in, in the pharmaceutical industry in lockdown? <laughs> 40. How many billionaires are being created right now in the energy crisis, in the energy industry? Okay. We don't know the final answers yet because it's still going through, but many. When you, look at, when you look at business and you see really successful people spoken about a business, I'll, 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 I'll compare it to podcasting. Who's the most successful podcaster you know? Joe Logan. Okay, I agree. Okay, so he's got the most successful podcast. When people say, how big do you want your podcast to be? Or what do you want your podcast to get to? I'll say, I'll be happy when I catch up with Joe. Until then, it's not a success. Mm-hmm. You know, I see your podcast and I'm like, yeah, she's done really well, Ellie. Okay, look at mine. Oh, I've done shit. Okay, that's what I say to myself. I've been doing this for four years, 250 interviews. Okay, and I'm not a global phenomenon yet. <laughs> 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 I'm not a legend in my own lunch hour. So, so I'm, not, I'm not a successful podcaster to me. Now, to lots of people that know me and lots of people that have never done a podcast or people that are early in their podcast journey or like we know many that start and then stop. Yeah. Okay. People like you and I are podcast heroes. Okay. Or successful podcasters. But I don't know how you feel. That's, your, that's for you to answer. But I don't feel I'm a success Not at all. Not for one minute do I believe I'm a success. I believe I get the opportunity to build great relationships and do great stuff with great people. But I don't consider it to be a success.
0: Is that because you're never happy with your own achievements? You always feel like you're capable of more? Does that detract from being in the moment?
1: Joe Rogan has the most successful podcast. Okay. Do you look at Stephen Bartlett who's catching him up? Yeah. Do you look at Stephen Bartlett and say, "Well done, Steve, great job." Or do you look at Stephen Bartlett and go, "You motherfucker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm coming after you."
1: <laughs> and it's like that. I, I I have that and then, you know, I look at Dave Ramsey in the States. He's one of the top 5 podcasts. And he talks a load of nonsense, and yet he's got a hugely successful podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, "Hmm. So, maybe want to get into the top 10 globally and like recognized on a continuous basis." then maybe but you know i i spoke to steve because i interviewed him on stage at dubai opera for the for my uh, for my podcast and when i was talking to him is i'm like how much money are you spending not on your team but on ads and marketing he's like why do you want to know and i'm like just give me a ballpark um because i want to know how to get there he said it'll probably cost you 100 grand a month
0: interesting and how many staff did you see he's got
1: just for advertising. He's got 30 stars, thirty on the team now. Back then when I interviewed him, I think he had 12.
0: That's really interesting. I also think it's to do with environment as well because obviously out in Dubai, even being a decamillionaire over here, you're an absolute nobody. The place I, is I, I just, just a good example. billionaires. M-
1: my wife comes from a very wealthy family, okay? All of our friends in that network, so the people I spend my weekends with, okay... I'm, I am the gardener, I'm the bricklayer, (laughs) I'm the van driver, I'm the peasant, I I promise you, out of all the people, I am the poorest out of all of them, now my wife loves that, she's like, yeah, because you raise your game, you work harder, you achieve more, and I'm like, no, and, and, and 10 years ago, that would have eaten me inside, that would have driven me mad, but now I'm like, yeah, but how many kids do you help,
0: Mm.
1: okay, Because I'm helping a load of kids. What do you do? And if they don't do anything and they just count their money, then that's your life, isn't it? I feel sorry for people like that.
0: Wow, it's really interesting. But everything is about context as well, isn't it? Because I do not want to be the big fish in a little pond at all. I'm constantly out of my depth when I speak to people. And it's incredibly humbling as well. But when you stay in your original environment, it's easy for people to kind of hero worship. Even down to fitness goals it's not just equating to money as well when I got challenged to do my first half marathon I couldn't even run a bath at that point you know but if I just said to my original group of friends they'd be like oh my goodness you're going to do like a couch to 5k that's incredible that's absolutely awesome when I got challenged to do the half marathon I was surrounded myself with people who are doing double Ironman back-to-back, back, breaking world records, doing 100-mile runs without stopping. A half marathon
1: was a fun run for them, wasn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah. precisely, because I didn't need that. I needed, you know, and those limitations needed to be absolutely removed. But I'm constantly like that in every aspect of my life. In business, I'm always the one that's on the first run of the ladder. But I must admit, obviously hearing you speaking about your purpose, it contextualises that. I think it's great because your net worth is your net worth. But... On the flip side of that, you, I don't know, sometimes there's a little bit of imposter syndrome kicks in when you're just around legends constantly. You're on the shoulder of giants. The pros massively outweigh the cons. But yeah, I I struggle with that.
1: Someone said to me once you focus on the girls, girls are goals. The girls, the children, oh, girls. The, the Bangladeshi children, you focus on them and you use them in your conversation to mask your failings in business.
0: What did you say to that person?
1: It, it took me by surprise when they said it. They know me well, so it's not like a, some random stranger that was hating on me, but it really made me think. I, is that what I'm doing? Am I positioning myself in my mind where I'm like, this is more important because almost the fight over here was was too overwhelming.
0: How did you respond?
1: Oh, I haven't, I didn't respond to them at all. Did you know? No, no, no. It, it was said to me and it, was, it wasn't said as a conversation piece. It was said as, you don't know, go and think about that. Wow, hmm. wow. I know.
0: You don't need enemies do you when you've got friends like that?
1: But when you've got friends like that, it's like, I want friends to make me think. I don't want friends just to cheer me on. I want, I want, I want, I want friends to challenge me. I, I you know, and, and arguably they they had they had a valid point because I handed over the reins of all my companies in 2016 to Danielle and the team to run the businesses, and so I don't run them every day. Um, Is
0: that not a success?
1: Well, that all depends, isn't it?
0: That's very interesting perception, though, to mask your feelings in business. Was this person a billionaire?
1: Um, close.
0: Okay. Maybe I need to hang around with more billionaires then. <laughs> Just like how incredibly rude.
1: It's not, no. it wasn't rude. It wasn't rude at all. It was really profound. It was thought provoking. Is that, is that what I'm doing? Am I sitting justifying with all this passion I have behind all of this stuff and how much I care about it and how much it gives me so much purpose? Am I using it as, 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 as my focus? Because I became overwhelmed with the fight in business to get where... I really wanted to get to.
0: Okay, let me ask you another question then. Since your priority has been more the philanthropy, phila, put my teeth back in, philanthropy, charity, charity work. <laughs> charity work. <laughs> <laughs> Since you've dedicated so much of your life and your wealth to the girls, how has that impacted your business?
1: So the, I come from a world where in, in business you have two options. Number one, you take the money off the table every year. Or you leave the money on the table and you grow the value of the business for an eventual exit. So up until 2012, everything was taking money off the table. Then we started to build a business that then I handed over, which the goal was to build the value in the business so that it could be sold at a certain point. That's completely opposite. I've got no experience of doing that. I've never been in a business where we've done that. So the, the approach is different. And so... That that became somewhat of a challenge along the way for me because I didn't have all the answers. And Danielle, my business partner, she's a, a yin and a yang. She's very studious. And so she'll study and work out. So if we need to sell a company for 150 million quid, uh, what are the steps we need to take? And all I'll be doing is going, how much is it worth today? Yeah. <laughs> how much is it worth today? Well, tomorrow, what's it going to be worth tomorrow? <laughs> Because I'm I'm not, you know, well-educated in that kind of stuff. So I think that some of it, you know, and I think that going through a dark depression, as I did around about that time too, it kind of, there was the overwhelm there. You know, if I had my time again and I could go back and start the last 10 years again, I'd have done it differently. Um, I'd have... I'd have definitely, of course, included the girls and all the work I've done there. But I think I'd have done I'd have done a lot a lot more, I'd have made a lot wiser decisions around business. You know, I started a sales training company. I wrote a book on training at sales um, called Make It Happen. I built an online learning platform for sales. And then um, most of the real estate industry here in Dubai approached me and wanted me to coach them. And so I would go into a corporate training and I'd get paid handsomely for it. But it was soul-destroying. It was literally soul destroying. It was robbing me of me of any any sense of worth, and so I had to stop it because it's just the the fulfilment of it was miserable. Um, and so I look that I look at that as a failed business So I went into it, you know, buzzing thinking it was good because I love sales. I really do love sales, but training people that weren't my own employees was awful. It was miserable. Mm. Um. So, yeah, I suppose that, that I look on some parts of what I've done and I'm like, you know, could I have done it better? Yeah, we all say that. But if I had if the last 10 years again, yeah, I'd have been... I'd have... And, I, and, I, and I kick myself because I'm 52 and I was 42 then and I should know better.
0: So as your definition of success has changed, do any of these hang-ups crossover is in do you still have those insecurities around how many girls you're helping or you could be making more of an impact you should be doing more some of the same challenges that you faced in prison
1: so gosh this is going into some honest darkest no not dark but some some deeper stuff look my energy comes from people mm. so I need to be with people to get my energy mm-hmm. if I'm on my own I struggle all right in business you know if you say to Danielle she's like if I could just sit at your desk in your office and spend my time there she goes I'd be so happy I get so much done and I'm like why she goes because it's quiet there's no one banging on the door no one needs me for anything it'd be so nice whereas I sit there uh, and I'm on my own and it's it's miserable So I need to be around people. Now, when you hand over your businesses to be run by other people, you're you're trusting people to do that, but you're also creating an agreement so that that can happen. When you do that and you regret because you're not exposed to the people you're exposed to, you find a way of, what you do is find a way of trying to replace it somewhere else, but then you become very critical of any little minor infringement that takes place or goes wrong with that business in any way. It could be the smallest of thing. Yeah, see? Shouldn't have left the business. Business needs me. Mm. And you. This, this kind of justification comes into your head on a very frequent basis. And because it comes into your head, it then plays with your mind.
0: So how does that cross over then with the girls?
1: It doesn't. The girls, it doesn't. The girls, they're just joy.
0: But do you feel
1: I do lots going, of the girls. Going
0: back to the, the sort of original point, do you just make your contribution financially and with your time and you're safe in the knowledge that you're doing your absolute best? Or do you have those same sort of goals and standards? I think I've
1: done I think I've done more for the girls than most. And you know, just last week I introduced some somebody to them that paid for Maria to go and climb K two and and were just wonderful. My, my network of people when they hear me talk about the girls want yeah. to help it's contagious. They, they want to help they want to be exposed they want to meet they want you know they or they they want to see who these kids are and they want to meet Maria mm. and so um by facilitating that th- that every every week is an opportunity for other people to be moved touched and engaged with these kids um and and yeah we I I love what I do with them so could I do more of course you know could you could you give your whole life to yeah of course. But um, you know, there's other things you have to do as well. And uh, you know, if you said to me, Where would you rather spend your Saturday afternoon? Well, you wait. Well, you, well, you will see me with them. Yeah. And you, when you see me with them, you, you, it, will, it will all absolutely make sense to you.
0: I can tell just from the twinkle in your mm. eyes.
1: No, well, you can't. They're just the best.
0: That's why when we went for that coffee all those months ago, I said, We need to get you back on. We need to talk about this. It's. Uh, mm. It's really, really interesting. The name of the podcast is "On a Mission." How would you describe your own mission?
1: So I think I have three. Um, one of them is obviously the girls, and to help the girls achieve what they want in life and get them off to university, and to help Maria get there's so another another hundred kids we have to get here, and they're the, they're the final one hundred. And so that's without a doubt one of the most focuses I have. Another mission I have is to, with the business is to change the way people think about money. People have a really poor relationship with money, like a really poor relationship with money. I'll give you an example. Last year, 11,000 people died in the UK and there was £3.7 billion in inheritance tax paid. That, that works out at £300,000 of inheritance tax paid per person because they didn't know. That they didn't need to pay it they didn't need to pay it because they have a bad relationship with money it's always been a problem for me when i was younger i learned that if you get to 65 years old and you don't have enough money then you're fucked Mm. but people spend their working career they don't save enough they get to retirement they think they're going to die five years later and they don't and they don't have enough money um, I see people that plan and want to send their kids to great universities but can't afford to do it because they didn't take the planning seriously. I see people spend 20 to 25% of their income every, every month on subconscious spend, i.e. money that they're spending. And paying with a credit card on your phone now is even worse. It's mm. blip, 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 blip. And so people are, people have a really bad relationship with money. And for me, one of my missions is to help people understand money in a way that would make them do the right thing with money. There, there, is, there is a load of money in the world. And even if you're earning 50 grand a year in the UK, there is still a load of money in the world. You just need to know how to use that money mm. better. And that's one of my missions. And I think if we learn to manage money better and be better with money, we then have an abundance to help others as well. And so that matters to me too. Um, and my other mission is to is to make sure my kids are proud of me no matter what. And that's, that's you know, when they write to me and they you know, they send me messages and they write cards and they say, you know, my eldest my said to me, Everything I do, I do for you. And there's nothing more important than that.
0: Oh, (laughs) I love it. I love it. Spencer, when's the documentary out?
1: We are still in edit at the moment. We're hoping to finish editing by the end of this month. I then have to do some, once the editing's done, I have to do some voiceover. And so with a bit of luck, we should be done and finalised by the end of May.
0: Love it. Thank you so much for coming back on the On A Mission podcast. It's been incredible.
1: Thank you for having me, Ellie.
0: Mm, you, you
1: have to go
0: to war with yourself.
1: Welcome to the, on a mission. to the On A Mission podcast. You've got one of the best jobs in the world. I, I have to say you've had some really astounding guests. You're generally a force for good. You are the truth warrior.